Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For the first time since 2017, the LSU Tigers are headed to Omaha. Woo! It's been a minute. Alex Box Stadium was absolutely electric. There was no doubt about it. You had the 12,000 that stuck around after the game got delayed and delayed for the bad weather. That was no bad weather. To watch Paul Skeens be dominant on Saturday. And then they clobbered, crushed the face of Kentucky. It was a bit of a tighter game on Sunday. Especially for a long stretch of it. But the Tigers came up with timely runs late. And man, they got some good pitching from the guys out of the pen. In particular, the freshman, Mr. Guidry. LSU wins the Super Regional, punches their ticket to Omaha, and they will await the winner of the Hattiesburg Super Regional. That'll be their first opponent at the College World Series in Omaha. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the Zevco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D-Lo. we got a great show lined up for you today. We'll talk all things LSU with Mr. Jeff Palermo, who I ran into last night, late last night, <laughs> at the box. The celebration went on a little long, Dawson, as you can imagine, for winning the Super Regionals for the first time since 2017. Not only was there a dog pile, There was the trip around the ballpark, shaking hands, taking pictures, signing autographs. It was a lengthy extravaganza at the ballpark. But Jeff Plarimo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us, give his thoughts on Jay Johnson's team punching their ticket to Omaha. We'll also have Ross Jackson stop by from the Locked On Saints podcast. OTAs are wrapped up. Minicamp begins. Yeah to the middle of June here. Things just keep rolling right along. We'll get Ross's thoughts on what he saw from OTAs and what to expect during minicamp. Those are the only two guests we have. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Phone calls are encouraged, welcomed. As long as you're nice to the man on the other side of the glass for me. So call the number, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111 to hop on and chop it up with us to talk about what you'd like to talk about. LSU winning the Super Regional, the Super Regional weekend in general. The Houston Astros, a little bit on the struggle bus this weekend and this past week. We can talk about that. We can talk NASCAR, P3 
PGA Tour. An incredible finish at the RBC Canadian Open. That was ridiculous. Got to saw the highlights of that. We'll touch on it all. But first and foremost, good morning, sir. How are you? Um, we're hanging in there. Allergies are an issue, but we're, we're doing all right. You're powering through? Got to. No other choice. That's what I like to hear, bud. That's what I like to hear. Pushing through. D'Lo coming in off the bench a little sickly today. That's not a problem. LSU. Skeens, as we said on Saturday, was masterful in a game that was delayed, let's be real, unnecessarily for seven hours. <laughs> it just was. And then they went out there and clobbered Kentucky. Just teed off on them. It was like batting practice. But we go back and we remember, hey, when these two teams faced off, Kentucky's brand of small ball being aggressive on the base paths gave LSU some trouble. And Kentucky in that series was able to win game two. And then it came down to a one-run game in game three. So you knew the Wildcats were going to be aggressive and that they were going to try to flush Saturday's performance behind them. LSU throws out Ty Floyd, who had been very, very good for most of the season. He did not have his best stuff yesterday. Just didn't. But he was able to grind it out. He was able to minimize the damage. Gave up the home runs, all solo shots. Seven hits, I do believe. That was the final stat line on Ty. And he just didn't have his best stuff. But he grinded it out. And LSU's defense and their pitching were able to get out of jams. And that was key in yesterday's ballgame. I mean, it started off right off the bat where you're like, is Ty even going to get out of the first inning? Because Jay had Cooper up and throwing during that very long first inning for Ty Floyd. And then he settled down a little bit, but then he brought him back in. Had to. And Coop gave up a run, but then he settled down as well. And it's like, okay. And they just kept grinding it out. Kentucky had 11 runners left on base. They had opportunities. Like the Wildcats got on base. They hit three home runs, but they left 11 runners on base. They had two hit batters, two more walks, and they had 10 hits. But they were only managed to get the runs that they could get. Because every time they threaten, LSU came up with a good defensive play. Every time they threaten, the pitcher would get out of the jam, mainly with strikeouts, to get out of the inning. So it was a bit of a workmanlike performance until they gave it to Gidry, and he was like, Coach, I got this. Like, he's a true freshman, and he went out there inheriting a runner on the base pass in a bad spot, and he's like, doesn't even remotely look like a freshman. The way he attacks it, he has turned it on, the kids got stones, and he was huge for them last night. Huge. And he's a freshman. And he's a two-way player, too. But 
Um, yeah, no. Could Kentucky, play shortstop for them next year. Yes. Kentucky had three homers, but they didn't hit them at the right times. Correct. And um, that was that was key. They never, it, they honestly never got a timely hit in the series um, between the two games. Even the first. Now the first one, there uh, it wasn't too close for too long. They kind of hung around in, in the early innings and and looked like they honestly battled off Skeens a little bit, but. Um, again, yeah, ne- never could get a timely mm-hmm. hit. Never really threatened too, too much anyway in that first game. Second game, yeah, had plenty more opportunities, but still couldn't get the big hit. They had runners in scoring position numerous times. You know, the interesting thing, too, is I felt like they got away from their brand a little bit. I, I didn't feel like they tried to put as much pressure as maybe they should have a couple of different times where, um, you know, and, and, and we saw them in the regular season matchups lay down some bunts in maybe not even some bunting situations, right, or just try and put some pressure in other ways. They didn't necessarily try to get after that too much. It was late in the game when it was still close before LSU tacked on the extra runs, and they had the runner at third. And I turned to uh, uh, an old friend of mine in the press box, and I said, you know, they're so good with small ball. It's only one out. Now that the guy has stolen third, why not lay down the bunt to first and score the run, and now you make it a one-run game? Yeah, and, and you know it's but funny they swung too. for the fences a lot yesterday, yeah, Dawson. And they and their brand of small ball is a little bit unique. Like they don't, it's not completely old school. Get a guy on, bunt him over, try to get him in no. with a sack fly. Like they do do some different. They do have some guys who swing with power and they try to hit the ball to gaps and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I felt like they just and look there when you're outmatched with talent the way they were with we knew going in like we knew LSU was a significantly more talented that's why you didn't mind the draw at times if you're an LSU fan cuz you knew Kentucky was not as talented as you were in my opinion that that's when you have to go with your own approach and you have to try to win things a little bit differently when you know you don't have the big time arms to match with LSU's and you know you don't have the big time bats to match with LSU's um, and I didn't think they tried enough of that um, so that now look I don't know if it matters in the end because of how just dominant LSU was in some facets of this, Tommy White got hot again. That's dangerous for teams in Omaha to have to deal with behind Dylan Cruz. Um, and you had a couple other, you know, they, look, they, they hit a lot of batters. Kentucky did. They didn't pitch particularly great, but when they were they throwing strikes, LSU was able to hammer them. And um, yesterday, or Saturday rather, it was all about the home run ball. Um, yesterday they did it with a little bit more variety, although still mixing in the long ball as well. And, um, you know, we said it for a long time, and I and I said it, I don't know how many times I said in the last two months when when talks of the pitching struggles were, I said, look, I understand they're struggling, but it's just about how they pitch in two weeks in June. And He's also changed who who he uses. Yeah, and those guys – If you go to the SEC tournament – You can tell who he's comfortable with now. And super regional. You can tell that there's guys that he trusts. He trusts Thatcher, even though Thatcher had a rough spot in the season. He definitely trusts Cooper, and he trusts Guidry and Ockenhausen. You haven't seen Christian Little barely at all. We haven't seen Javion Coleman at which, all. Yeah, which uh, so you he has his guys now, right? He has his guys that are like these are my guys. Yeah, these and are the guys I, I trust. Now Little, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Little's a part of the equation right now. I think you'd have seen Coleman in the in the right situation again. There's there's the idea of game three, um, and I think you'll see Coleman at some point in Omaha if if the Tigers do what they want to do, which is make a long stay there, and they're going to play Correct. multiple games. Then I think you're going to see him at some point. Um, but yeah, that's you can get a little short with it when you get good starting pitching too. Now they didn't get a particularly long outing from Floyd, so that's why it's even a little bit more impressive that you got some length in the middle there. You got some outs from Cooper, more than just a couple outs there. Uh, yeah, Gidry was just fantastic. I mean, he's so good. The upside there looks looks tremendous um, for a guy who's who's as young as he is. But overall, I think 
And Cade Beloso came up big in this game. Yeah. You know, I, and in my game story at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com, you know, I set my, my two players of the game were Cade Beloso and, and Gavin Guidry, and Beloso only had the one hit. But in the moment of the game, it was huge, his three-run home run. Because it gave LSU the entire advantage, gave them a lead, and gave them a cushion, which they needed. And ended up needing for a good portion of the game. And, of course, Guidry, look, the freshman comes in. He gives up a single. He inherits a runner, gives up a single. So now there's two runners on when he comes into the ball game after he gives up the single. And what does he do? He gets back-to-back strikeouts to end the threat. And then he go on to pitch two and two-thirds of scoreless work while giving up only that first hit and then striking out four to earn the save. Like, it's just to be a freshman – and to come in there and inherited what he did is magnificent. Like, it's a big deal to be a freshman to be able to do that. Like, you're coming out of the pen and your skipper looks to you and goes, I need you to stop this. Like, we, we're trying to get to Omaha. I need you to take care of it. And the kid has the confidence. And even after, it was weird, even after he gave up the single, you just p- paid attention to his body language on the bump, and he was like, "Man, eh. it didn't even phase him. It didn't phase him to be that young to have that kind of mental fortitude." Woo. And he can play shortstop. We'll see if they actually make that switch next season and have him play multiple positions. More recap of LSU's super regional victory over the Kentucky Wildcats. We'll hear from the Tigers themselves next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. First off, thanks for your patience. Um, that's special out there and did not want to rush uh, off the field. And So proud of this team. Um, coming here was a big move personally and professionally and um, just had a vision of what tonight would look like. And, um, you know, I just I wanted these guys to experience that so bad. And um, this is about the players and whether it's culture, team, buy-in, connectedness, whether it's baseball. Um, there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put in the bucket over the 700-whatever days we've been here, and uh, they're champions. And um, really excited to go to Omaha and chase a national championship with them. And um, if they are in character, um, we have a great chance to do that. LSU skipper Jay Johnson afterwards after the celebration on the field uh, wrapped up. It was, it was, it was, it took a while. I was going to say, you, you well rested this morning? I am very rested. That's good. <laughs> I, I didn't forget to put my belt on. I don't have it down in my bag and have to put it on during the next commercial break at all. Um, <laughs> look, and rightfully so. It's been since 2017 since they've been. This whole group doesn't know what it's like. 
right? They have no idea. And 10,000 plus fans, it was, I went down in the middle of the game. You could tell it was going to be one of those days. Saturday was the same way, even with all the rain delays for the rain that never came. But on Sunday, well, it came. It just it just waited until <laughs> the new proposed start time. Yes, the new proposed start time. Tons of more people tailgating on the lawns outside of Alex Box, and you could just feel the energy. And I went down. I think it was in the fifth or sixth inning, and I, I decided to leave the press box and I went down to the the second level concourse area. It was three deep, standing. It was, it's been a long time since I've seen the box that way. And they were just packed, ready to go. Like, they just were ready to go. And they feed off that energy. And like the team does. I mean, you saw it late in the game when Dylan Cruz, his final at-bat, because let's be honest, he's probably going number one overall. If not, he'll be number two overall in the amateur draft. The All-American, you know, he he finally gets a hit after drawing four walks in the game. Talk about plate discipline and talk about pitchers being scared to pitch to him. He gets that hit to drive in a couple runs, a couple insurance runs for them late, and Dylan popped the front of the jersey, right, with the team name on it to the crowd, and they just went ballistic. And... It was 10,000, 11,000 folks there standing up, standing room only inside the box. They flooded onto the field afterwards. Security had, security wasn't ready. Like they did the dog pile and then they did their thing where they run around, they jogged around the field, high fiving the fans. And after that, they started to accumulate down by home plate in between home plate and first base. And when they happened, security wasn't ready. So fans started piling onto the field on both sides. And like security was like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you kind of let the cat out of the bag there. But Cruz was asked, was he nervous at all for his final at bat inside the box? Yeah, I mean, I have before. No, I'm not gonna lie. I'm nervous for every at bat, really. You know, uh, but uh, you know, it's just through all my training, really. Like I said, I was really just able to control myself and control my breathing and. Um, you know, it didn't make it any better when my walk-up song was playing. So, but it, it was fun. It was it was awesome, and um, it was good. Yeah, I think um, you know a spark hit us late in this year, which is which is a, a great timing. And um, you know, I th- we're just gonna keep moving forward with this momentum we have. You know what's dangerous about this team for the rest of the field at Omaha is that this was the number one ranked team for the majority of the season. The majority of the season. Yeah, I actually, I I thought about that a lot yesterday because of the way this bracket looks, and you know, I was kind of thinking to myself about how it is, and it's not that the talent wasn't there at certain points of the year. Now, the injury certainly played a role, but you know, it was about potential and about living up to it. And from the bullpen's perspective, they weren't at certain points, and they kind of are right now. And yeah, no, I had that exact thought. Like, I think the best two teams in the country are Wake Forest and LSU, and they're going to be on the same side of the bracket. That's going to be interesting. Look, that's how Omaha works out. And to the Tigers' credit, if they'd have, you know, they, they had that struggle stretch, right? They'd have been the number two seed overall if they didn't. Um, but they had their dip, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, they're 
it, and it's 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 not the team that side of the bracket too, which you know we're still waiting on the fourth team. We'll see, but all but man, that's that's tough to have Wake and LSU and those two. That there could be some all time classic matchups coming in Omaha between those two if it works out the way we think. Which again, you know, obviously it's Omaha. Everybody's got a shot, but correct. LSU will play the winner of Tennessee Southern Miss, who has to play today in a winner take all game. That'll be their first matchup it's in the Omaha. battle for Applebee's. And the, it's going to go down. The battle for Applebee's. We'll get to that nonsense as well. And, you know, also, how good for Cade Beloso? This is a guy who came up, uh, came in with a ton of hype out of high school, out of John Curtis. Comes there, has had a good career, maybe not a great career that a lot of LSU fans were hoping he'd have, but he stuck with it. He came back for another season. And he had some stretches, too, where you're like, oh, Cade. But he's come up big down the stretch for the Tigers. And obviously yesterday he had the three-run blast, which was huge in this ballgame. And he talked about his three-run home run. Uh, I mean, it, it means everything. Uh, you know, I was just so happy we won the game today. And, uh you know, in that at bat, I was just trying to hit a fly ball to center field and, you know, ended up getting a good pitch over the heart of the plate and, you know, put a good swing on it. And, you know, that gave us a lead. And that's what I was really excited about. You know, anytime you have momentum and postseason is, is uh, huge. And it was on our side after that. And that's what I was really excited about. Good for him. Because he could have transferred out last couple of years. He could have easily. And he's been put into that DH role. And it's worked out well for him, and it's worked out well for the Tigers. Yeah, Kate, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned he played at John Curtis in New Orleans, and so he was a guy, he was a couple years younger than I was, but, you know, obviously we started hearing about him when I was playing in, in that area, and um, he was originally committed to Tulane, actually, and I don't know if people really remember that, but a lot of times, too, when you have really good players in your area, which in the New Orleans area, it's, there's a lot of baseball going on, um, and guys announce that they're going to LSU or, or even Tulane, UL, the bigger t- programs. A lot of time the thought is, well, I know he's really good, but is he, is he LSU good or, you know, is he UL good? Is he Tulane good? Um, and, I, you know, I think that was a lot of the thought with Beloso, at least for people around us that had, you know, kind of seen him play a good bit and had played maybe not against him but, but near, you know, and had a lot of friends who played against him. Um, and he proved that he was. And so I think that was, uh, that was something that was interesting when he flipped his commitment. He was a big-time prospect in the area. Uh, it certainly was interesting. He he had a ton of moments early on in his career, and then yes. of course he had you know the injury issue, um, which wiped out a lot of what could have been a bigger year for him in the past couple of seasons. And now to come back, yeah, to kind of bet on yourself there, come back, say I'm I'm going back for one more year. There was no guarantee that Cade Beloso was going to play this season. By the way, I think there's a lot of scenarios in which he wouldn't have played very much because of how much talent was in this roster. Um, but he kind of carved out a spot for himself, and yeah, was was just huge in this whole postseason so far it was you know this is a guy that was Mr. Baseball best baseball player in the state and went to LSU and had some moments early injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit and you're right there was no guarantee and I just find it interesting that that a team as loaded as as LSU was this year Cade Beloso stepped up in a big way for him Hayden Travinsky who wasn't supposed to get a lot of playing time early on ended up becoming a key member of this lineup. It's funny how that works. Baseball is a funny game. It gives you opportunities and you can seize the moment. Leads us to our poll question of the day. What was 
the most notable thing about LSU's super regional victory? Was it the weather shenanigans? Was it the offensive explosion? Was it the strength of the bullpen? Or was it other? Right now, 33% of you say the offensive explosion. 27% say weather shenanigans. 27% of you say bullpen strength. And 13% say other. Ralph says bullpen was a pleasant surprise. If they're going to win the Natty, they'll be key. Surprise, FEMA wasn't called in after the Saturday afternoon flood. Go Tigers. Dak Cajun says anyone still crying about the weather delay is probably still crying about skiing starting against Tulane. Time to get over it. Dak Cajun is salty this morning. It's a Monday in salt. John Paul Cajun Daddy says I was watching the ends on squeeze play. I picked other. The Oregon and the LSU Super Regionals both ended the exact same way and only about three seconds apart. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the squeeze play is a game changer. Let's just let's just go ahead and call it what it is. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Salty comments or not salty comments, leave them on Facebook and Twitter. We'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. we got to take a time out. When we return, we'll look at the rest of the weekend for the regionals, the super regionals in particular. Oh, Wake Forest flexed their muscles. Oh, that was a football score. <laughs> in game two, we'll recap the rest of the Super Regional action for you. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU's in Omaha. We're still waiting for two more spots to be filled for the 18 field. Texas Stanford. Texas wins it in dramatic fashion in game one. Stanford comes back with an excellent performance last night. So that forces a winner-take-all game today at the Stanford Super Regional. Southern Miss, Tennessee, they got pushed for rain. They had to finish game one yesterday. They then threw Tanner, and he got smoked. Probably the worst outing of his career, by far. That puts Southern Miss at a huge disadvantage. Because you probably thought if you're the Golden Eagles, this is our guy, this is the ace, and then he gets roughed up. Now, that's not to say that Southern Miss can't beat Tennessee, but it definitely puts you behind the eight ball. And volunteers in the Golden Eagles are allegedly going to play today. 6.30, I do believe, is the time they're scheduled to play in Hattiesburg tonight. Five, I think it's 5 o'clock, actually. 5 o'clock. Um, the Doppler radar from our friends over the National Weather Service uh, predicting uh, severe thunderstorms. So, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if they get that game in. But those are the two matchups still to be decided. Florida was the first team to punch their ticket to Omaha. They had really no problems with South Carolina. 
we talked about it last week, which Florida team was going to show up, which South Carolina team was going to show up. Because if you had the South Carolina team that showed up during the middle of the season when they swept Florida and took a game from LSU, then I liked the Gamecocks' chances. Or would the South Carolina team that showed up in against Kentucky and got swept and got hammered by LSU in the SEC tournament? Well, the other South Carolina team showed up. And Florida, to their credit, looked really good. Gators move on. They and LSU are the two SEC teams that have already punched their ticket. Tennessee trying to be the third. As for the fourth SEC team, they hung tough in game one, Alabama did, against Wake Forest. That was a one-run game. Lots of home runs hit in that game, I thought, at the time. And then came the batting practice beatdown by Wake Forest. Wake Forest scored more than 20 runs in a super regional game. And okay, so there's an underlying theme here that I think is is like it's the lead that's going to get buried here, but it's absolutely incredible. Um, you got an idea about how the ball flies out in Wake Forest yesterday, right? If those of you oh, who yeah. haven't watched a whole lot of the games there at Wake, they've got an interesting color uh, dirt type. Uh, you know, it's turf, but the uh, what would be the dirt? It's like a goldish color. I guess they're trying to match their team colors. It's strange, um, but that's that's not really what I, what's important here. The ball flies out of there like nothing. Um, and yesterday, I actually, I mean, I was texting, uh, I was texting Chris from Atlanta, actually, friend of the show. Um, about and I thought they were showing replays on squeeze play. I just every time I looked up, there was another round trip around the bases, doing a little, <laughs> you know, shuffle step around second base, a little tap of the helmet, and we're back to the dugout. It was unbelievable. But my whole point in this is that the fact that Wake Forest led the NCAA and ERA by almost a full run over the second place team out of 290 Division One teams in that ballpark is like one of the most incredible feats that's ever happened in college baseball, in my opinion. It really is. They make it to Omaha for the first time in 68 years. Nine home runs in yesterday's game. That ties for the most in an NCAA tournament game history. Second team to win four NCAA tournament games by 10-plus runs. You know who the last team to do it was? I don't. 1997 LSU. I was going to guess the Tigers in some form or fashion. Gorilla Ball era LSU was the last team to do that and their run differential in the regionals and the super regionals was plus 59 that's good that's that's good that's that's a good way of describing that so wake force destroys alabama they're in florida takes care of south carolina wake force takes care can we talk about oral roberts in oregon for a second it's my favorite series of the weekend and i was kind of locked into it so yes Oregon wins in a walk-off fashion to take game one. Puts the pressure on Oral Roberts. They turn around and do the same thing to Oregon the next day to take game two. And now the other Golden Eagles have found a way. It's unreal. As a four seed in a regional, they've made it all the way to Omaha now. Yeah, Unbelievable. And not really a four seed. We've talked about that. Forty six and eleven, I think, in the regular season. They're now fifty one and twelve. Um, I, 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 but they right no, but, they, but are te- they are technically speaking. No, I'm not they, arguing with you. I'm not they, arguing with they, you. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you jumped right in. You're like, well, they're not really a four seed. I just, I'm saying, I, I, you know, I, 
we've we've discussed that already, right? Um, they were they you know somebody has to be four seed the way this tournament works there, out. But there Earl you Roberts go. was certainly not a favorable draw there for is. Stillwater, and they weren't necessarily a favorable draw for Eugene. Um, but in case you missed this game, the first game of this series, Oral Roberts went up eight nothing in the third inning, and they Oregon. I thought it was an unbelievable job by Oregon. They just chipped away. It's when you're down eight nothing early. It's a lot different than being down late in the game. You have time. You don't have to try to put the huge inning together. And Oregon did a perfect job of it, scoring a couple of runs here, three runs in one inning, uh, one run in a couple others, and they came all the way back and they walked it off nine to eight. And when you're up 8 nothing in a game like that with that much on the line, you're on the road and you're already the underdogs, you're already a four seed, you know that that's put next to your name, and you lose a game like that, ah, man, I don't know how you come back the way they did on Saturday or on Sunday. Look, I lose track of these games when you had the th- game starting on Friday. It was Sunday, uh, right, for game two. No, it was Saturday. It was. That's confirmed. Final answer. Um, <laughs> to come back and put the performance together like they did, and then to be trailing the entire way. By the way, their best player, Jonah Cox, who has now a 47-game hitting streak. It's approaching the all-time hitting streak record that Robin Ventura actually holds. Uh, that's a pretty good name to be in company with. Um, he drops a fly ball in center field and gives Oregon two runs. Looks like they're going to give the game away and looks like they're going to lose the series. He comes back and hits a home run to try and get the rally started, by the way, to cut into that lead. And then they put it together in the ninth inning. And what's crazy, too, look, and and we don't have to get too far into it, but the guy comes up with bases loaded, down a run, one out in the the bottom of the ninth inning. And the first pitch he throws is a front door, just nasty slider that almost hit him in the foot that he takes an awful swing at. And I thought, sheesh, I don't know how this at-bat's going to go. And then the next pitch is a 94-mile-an-hour fastball in the outside corner, and he just deposits it down the left field line on the chalk line uh, to win the game. Just incredible performance there. That's all to just set up game three. And then they come back yesterday, a battle throughout. They end up pulling away at the very end, but that game was pretty close throughout the entire way. It was similar to the LSU game, um, but a little bit more, uh, a little bit tighter throughout, a little bit even more so. And then they get the extra insurance runs, and Oral Roberts is heading back to the College World, well, heading to the College World Series. I did want to say, by the way, I'm done with this Oregon uniform thing. Um, I just had – it was bothering me all weekend. I get it in football, and some of them I don't hate, but the, the, the combinations they had, they had like the little duck pattern thing going yesterday, uh, but it was only on the jerseys, not on the pants. The numbers are huge and fluorescent, and I'm just not a fan of it. I like. Well, you the, don't have to watch it the rest of the way. Well, but fortunately for, for me, Series. that was a okay. big reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay. I loved Oral Roberts for multiple reasons, there but also okay. Oral Roberts. We, were, I was joking too with a friend of mine. They had like the sweat stained caps that were like just stained and whitened, and then Oregon had these like shiny, you know, fluorescent uniforms. So I was like, it was a contrast of styles in multiple ways. But there we go. Impressive stuff for the uh, for there. the Golden Eagles. There we go. There we go. On that side of the bracket for the College World Series. Two teams that I don't think we've talked enough about. They could easily win the whole thing. That'll be the team Oral Roberts will face, which will be Virginia, who dropped the first game to Duke. People are like, oh, no. And then the Cavaliers are like, we got this. They come back, win games two and three. They punch their ticket. So it'll be Virginia versus Oral Roberts. In one of the matchups on that side of the bracket, the other side, we already mentioned Florida, who dispatched of South Carolina in two games. Florida versus TCU is going to be another matchup. Not to be lost on the on the Ooh. whole situation here, 
I think that's all great. Um, I'm six and zero right now. Do, are we? Should we talk about that with my picks right here? I was hoping to get through who's in. I don't know. I, I think who it has won to the be, super regional. No, I think we and have yet to bring it up made now. It, I, yeah, I went, we've made it up. We've, I went we've made it about minutes. you. Now. I think 48 minutes is a good amount. Um, I got a chance to do something special here. We're we're counting on the Longhorns and the. Uh, who did I pick? Did I pick Southern? Yeah. The Longhorns and the Golden Eagles, right? I picked Southern Miss. You also said Alabama had a chance against Wake Forest to be completely transparent. And well, I said a slight yeah. chance, and in game one they certainly did. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to ignore game two, are we? We're just going to ignore the the twenty plus runs. I in the, no, I picked Wake Forest in the whole thing. It's okay. okay. I think. I mean, look, look. If you want, you, look. If you feel the need. To take a victory lap at 6.48 this morning. Go right ahead. I mean, I picked LSU. I picked Wake Forest as well. I picked Virginia. Uh, I picked Oral Roberts. I picked TCU. I just didn't pick Florida. So, I mean, if, if you want to feel good about yourself, go right ahead. And that's okay. I know I do. <laughs> but either way, the side of the bracket's going to be. No, it's interesting. Florida TCU is going to be a heavyweight bout. Well, he, TCU is the team that's not going to have a seed next to their name, but nobody's going to want to face it. Oh, no. I mean, they are Ooh. playing. If you re, you know, the funny thing too is if you reseeded this thing. Obviously, if you reseeded it based on actual seed, you'd have different results. But if you reseeded this based on how teams played in the NCAA tournament, TCU. I mean, maybe be the three seed. You go Wake, LSU, TCU. Would that be one, two, three? Florida would be certainly in the mix. I mean, it's and we could possibly have Wake Forest, Texas. Oh man, and Texas oh. now. Texas again, a team that that comes they they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat in game 1 and then they kind of turn around and Quinn Matthews for Stanford by the way threw 156 pitches in a complete game effort yesterday. 156. And just kind of put his stamp on that series and now it's winner take all and again you feel like kind of maybe the m- momentum's back on the tree side, but we'll have to see. Uh that that series has been fun too. So Got some heavyweights in there. So, once again, Wake Force, LSU, Florida, Virginia, Oral Roberts, and TCU have punched their tickets. Two more spots remain. That will hopefully be decided today. Stanford Super Regional, Game 3, winner take all. The Tree versus the Longhorns. And then we have Southern Miss versus Tennessee. And the other one allegedly will try to be played this evening. We'll see. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. What was the most noticeable thing about LSU's Super Regional victory? Right now, 41% of you say the strength of the bullpen. 28% say weather shenanigans. 24% say offensive explosion. 7% say other. Let's get to some more comments. 
B-Rad has chimed in. The bullpen, it actually started to show in the SEC tournament. I would agree to that. And has continued in the NCAA tournament. Now we knew the offensive explosion was coming. But fielding is the other notable as LSU has committed only three errors in the NCAA tournament. Defensively, they've cleaned it up a little bit. And that's been nice to see. Jordan Thompson made an unbelievable play. That was ridiculous in the hole. I mean, and, and he jumps up and he's falling backwards while off the ground and throws the guy out. And you know, I don't know if, if this if the Kentucky hitter stumbled out of the box or what either. But I, I thought there's no chance you get him. But uh, it was a strong throw, incredible play in the hole. Yeah, no, defensively they've been solid. And there's been a couple of little Tommy White mishaps here and there, but he's mostly cleaned it up too. Mm-hmm. And um, outfield now, look, and I think oh, by the way, we all said this for a long time, when, and and it was part of the injury. But when Trey Morgan went back to first base, that really kind of helps their off their defense in a lot of ways because any bad throws, Trey Morgan's able to. I mean, he scoops, he stretches, he's able to disguise any issues you might have with your arms in the infield. Um, and also, I think it allows you to have a little bit better range in some of your outfield positions because Trey at times didn't look comfortable out there. So I think that's been a big thing here. It's something that that's not gone unnoticed by me. It's made a huge difference. You can just tell. Doug comes uh, chimes in. Uh, getting through the Supers was my biggest concern. Now we can go to Omaha and bring back the Natty. Hashtag go Tigers. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. What was the most notable thing about LSU Super Regional Victory? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here of RP3 and Company. LSU headed back to Omaha for the first time since 2017, their 19th trip to the College World Series. That breaks a tie with them in Arizona and Cal State Fullerton, by the way. Now, I do believe they've been the sixth most time or the seventh most time of any program in college baseball history. They will still await to figure out who they're going to play. Because the Hattiesburg Super Regional has yet to wrap up. That will happen hopefully today. Hopefully today. Yes, 19th trip to the College World Series. That's the seventh most in NCAA history. They take care of the Wildcats. After having the game delayed multiple times on Saturday, they go out there, they crush their faces. Paul Skeens was dominant. They hit a bunch of home runs. Sunday, no problems. A little bit of a tighter game. Ty Floyd did not have his best stuff. Didn't. Had to grind it out a little bit. But Kentucky couldn't get extra base hits, right? That was the thing. They got 11 runners left on base. They had 10 hits in this game. They had three solo jacks. Had two batters hit 
Two more got walks. They had plenty of chances. But LSU's pitching got out of jams, and the defense was very good. Gavin Guidry, the freshman, the former Barb High Buccaneer. Boy, he sure does look like the moment's not too big for him. He's a freshman. A freshman. <laughs> he goes into the game in the seventh with a runner on first and one out. He gives up a single right off the bat. Doesn't rattle him. Then he gets back-to-back strikeouts to end the threat. Stays in the rest of the game. Pitches two and two-thirds of scoreless ball while giving up just one hit and striking out four and earning the save. Cooper, who came in before him in relief of Ty Floyd, he's the one that gets the win. And now the Tigers are headed to Omaha. I'm just thinking about the fact that there were Louisiana high school state pitchers who had to face Kyle DeBarge and Gavin Guidry both at the plate and on the mound with Guidry in high school baseball a couple of years ago. Like, that's not fair. No. Among no. others, too. That's not the only two guys from that ro- from those rosters that are playing college ball. Like, wow. It's tough. Not exactly fair, no. And Tigers win it 8-3. to They're at the box. The box was electric. 12,000 folks on Saturday night. And it felt like they said paid attendance was not 12 yesterday. But it sure did feel that way. Like, once again, I went down, toured around a little bit before the game. Because I like to do that, especially for a big event. I like to kind of get the feel from the crowd. And usually you have to take probably 20, 30 minutes to sign autographs. So I know that's always factored in <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. They, they looked at me like, sir, we need that trash can uh, dumped out over there. Please take care of that for us. The people, it was like the fifth or sixth inning I went down to the second level concourse area, and it was packed. Like, you couldn't move. It was three deep people standing up watching the game. That's what it was like. And LSU fans, it, it's been a, a long time since I've seen the box that electric. I've covered a lot of games there in my career. It's been a minute since it was like that. Really has been. I think uh, sometimes like it gets overstated about this and that, the type of fan base, the crowds in, in games and such. Um, I thought Saturday was a good example of, and, and look, Jay Johnson didn't hide it when he was actually asked on the broadcast during the game. He said something uh, along the lines of, everyone in the transfer portal should be watching because this doesn't happen anywhere else, which I thought was a hilarious line to be saying in an actual, during, <laughs> during a, game. a super regional game nonetheless. During but a game, that's such a hustler move too. I did have the thought when, when they came back Saturday after all the shenanigans that, again, I don't think were handled well at all about delaying the game. Not every that's not that doesn't happen everywhere is a great way to think about the environment that was Saturday night after that much of a rain delay. Correct. Not every first of all, not everywhere is what LSU is in the first place in baseball about the crowds and all. But not every and not everywhere would that big of a crowd and that rowdy of a crowd showed back up at nine o'clock or whatever it ended up when they finally started that game. Um, so I thought that and that was an advantage certainly. Now, look, Twelve thousand people. If they if LSU plays the way they played that night and Kentucky plays the way they played, it was never going to be a contest. But I think that certainly plays into it. Like that that atmosphere was tough. You're already facing a guy who's throwing 101 miles an hour in the seventh inning, which like I keep 
seeing Skeens do that, and you got to remind yourself, that's not normal. Like, you don't see that in the big leagues. You do not see starting pitchers regularly touching triple digits in six, seven innings into an outing. Like, not even, that's just crazy what he was doing on the mound. And uh, all that's on Saturday night before they even get Sunday going and yeah, no, that like so that I just want to remind like that's when people say that doesn't happen everywhere. Sometimes that gets overstated. What happened on Saturday with the way the crowd showed up that late into the night that doesn't happen everywhere. And, and think about Skeens for a second. He had to make a choice. You know, he comes out of high school. He's not that heralded of a prospect. He goes to Air Force, and he has even admitted that he didn't think he had an opportunity to to have a chance at being a professional baseball player so he decided to go to a service academy they gave him the scholarship right and he can also hit we forget about that because he's such a dominant pitcher at LSU but he, but he can hit as well at Air Force but he had to make a decision because this is a little known fact that a lot of people don't know you have to transfer out of a service academy before your junior season to not have to fulfill your requirements of service after you graduate, your military service. So if you go to the Air Force, obviously, then I think it's you have to commit to being the Air Force for four years, right? Um, Navy, Army, same way. So you have to give commit, you know, when you sign that scholarship, it is required of you after you graduate, you're going to have to serve four years for that branch of the armed forces so he has to make a decision now he had a very good sophomore season at air force and that kind of put him on the map and people are like hey that kid can really play but he has to make a decision to give up on give up the scholarship put himself in the transfer portal and bet on himself and that's huge and just think about where this team would be if they didn't didn't have Paul Skeens make that decision to say, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself and put my name in the transfer portal. Not playing right now would be my guess, um, with a lot of confidence behind it, too, because if you think of all the pitching issues they've had, imagine if they weren't getting seven, eight innings on Friday nights. I mean, they would just, be in some real trouble. So, yeah. It's just amazing how kind of things come 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 together in that way. And, you know, Cooper's a guy that transferred over with Jay from Arizona. And he's had some rough goes of it, right? But he came up big for them, especially down the stretch, SEC tournament, regionals, super regionals. It's just funny how these things kind of happen. Yeah, and, and by the way, not to I know we're going to have plenty of time to look forward to the College World Series in Omaha, but something to think about for Wake and LSU, who, again, for my money right now, are the best two teams currently playing, uh, especially given the postseason and what's happened so and far. And they had to be on the same side of the bracket. They are on the same side of the bracket. possibly Texas. But Ugh. they're there, and they're already on that side of the bracket, and the two spots that are left to be clinched are both alongside them in bracket number one. Bracket two's already set, Florida, Virginia, TCU, and Oral Roberts, so... Those two teams, LSU and Wake Forest, have an advantage of not throwing anyone today. Paul Skeens is not pitching tonight, in case you didn't know. And Southern Miss is going to have to throw, which they're going to start Nico Mazza. I haven't seen who Tennessee announced they're going to start, but they're throwing legitimate guys. Obviously, they're in do-or-die situations. Stanford and Texas are both going to be pitching guys tonight. And if this Southern Miss thing, if the weather goes the way it might, they might play tomorrow. 
Oh, so that's gross. a big advantage for Wake and LSU to be sitting at sitting back, already have your spot clinched, not using any more arms as we get towards Friday and Saturday, and we'll see when the bracket comes out who's playing on which day. But and I would imagine this is going to be the bracket that starts later because the two teams that are still playing. But that's an advantage already uh, for those two teams that have already clinched their spot, and we think they're probably the two better teams in that bracket as well. Now, if you're the NCAA, you can go ahead and unveil your bracket, even if Hattiesburg doesn't get in today. Because that would be the only game left, and you just say, okay, LSU plays the winner of that game, and that game will be at this time. Like, you can go ahead and make that decision. That makes sense, but will they do something that makes sense? I don't know. Ooh, the NCAA making things that make sense? Oh, man, you're you're playing it fast and loose this morning, D'Lo. I don't know about that, my friend. (laughs) Um, Gavin Guidry, I just, he's so good. He's so good, and he's been so good for them out of the bullpen as a true freshman. And the moment's not too big for him. Like, you can just tell the body language when he comes into the game. You're just like, this guy's got it. And Jay Johnson, the LSU skipper, said afterwards uh, this about leaving the freshman in the game out there in the ninth inning. Yeah, I mean, it got hard because the, uh, in a good way, the top of the ninth was like 45 minutes long. Um, you, you have to account for everything. And we were in, you know, we have first and goal on the five-yard line. We're winning tonight, no doubt about it, um, in my mind. But the way they just weren't getting swings on them, whether it was right or left and the breaking ball, and then once we scored, I felt like we had some margin for error. And so you put him back out there. I mean, the moment obviously wasn't too big for him. As, as Coach Bertman talks about, he's past the pressure barrier. Um, you know, for me, the situation never becomes bigger than just him executing his plan. And so we did that and it allowed us to leave Nate and Thatcher down there. So if you look at if something had really gone wrong, you got Thatcher, you got Nate, um, you got Javen Coleman for tomorrow in our offense. I think we would have been okay. And so all of that kind of played into running him out there for the last inning. Plus, he was dealing. So you leave him out there. And you mentioned he, he mentioned Coleman, who we haven't seen in weeks. And Jay keeps mentioning him in postgame press conferences that he has them there if need be. Uh, we talked about it earlier. We expect to see him probably in Omaha. Because we do see, we do now know who Jay really trusts, right? Coming out of the pen. He trusts Cooper. He trusts Thatcher now. He trusts Alkenhausen. He trusts Gavin. He keeps mentioning Coleman, but it sure does feel like they're saving Coleman to be a possible starter, right, for Omaha. Let's just hope the rust won't play a role in that. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for patiently waiting. What's on your mind, my friend? Morning. Well, I'm going to make you earn your check this morning. I'm going to make you use your brain. Brother, I have not slept enough for that, but I'll try my best. (laughs) Okay. So knowing what we know about, one, the weather with Tennessee and Southern Miss, two, about the Super Regionals and and LSU's pitching, they've gotten better. I still don't trust them fully, but they've gotten much better. My question to you is this. Does J.J. roll the dice and – sit schemes for the first game Ooh. to try to save him for later on to where he might meet up with um, 
Texas, Southern Miss, or Wake Forest. I mean, think about it. I mean, if he could save that arm and get into the winner's bracket and move on, that would be a huge coup. But, again, Skeens may be in the first game, but then he's going to rely on his uh, his uh, bullpen, which haven't seen hitters like they could be facing with Wake Forest and some of these other guys. Kentucky was not um, – It's a different uh, style of offense. Gorilla right. ball hitters. It's a good question, Ronald. Dawson and I will both answer it, brother. Thank you for your time, bud. Enjoy your day. Y'all have a blessed day. I'll go first. I think he starts Paul Skeens. I, I, I just He started Paul Skeens against Tulane in the regional. Like, I just think Jay's built that way that he's not going to try to play the numbers here. Like, I just I just don't think that's going to be the deal. I think he's going to go out there and say, you know what? We got to start off the College World Series. We need to win. We're going to throw our ace. Doesn't matter if it's against Southern Miss. Doesn't matter if it's against Tennessee. We're going to throw Skeens because I think he trusts Ty and the rest of the guys enough along the way. Um, yeah, You would think that, but we thought he would save Paul Skeens for Oregon State, and he didn't. So I know we're coming up on a break, so I'll try to make this quick. There's multiple layers to this, and I would I would pay close attention, and I'm sure we will, to what Jay Johnson says throughout the week if at any point, you know, I don't know when his media availability is going to be right. And also, I don't know if he's going to say anything because he's been pretty close to the vest on this. But Omaha's a little different. It's different than a regional and a super regional. And the reason I'd say that is the scheduling's more spread out, but that gives you opportunities Remember now, if you win your first game, if let's say it's on Friday night, you win your first game, you don't play again until Sunday. Correct. If you throw Skeens early, you have more of an opportunity to bring him back and pitch him again in this in this College World Series if you pitch in a winner-take-all game. If you pitch him right off the bat, you'll have the opportunity to pitch him multiple times all the way to a right. national You'll title. have a chance to pitch him twice, if not three, because you could potentially... Now, again, they haven't done that with Skeen, so I don't know if they would, but you could potentially throw him, then have him available, maybe, let's say, out of the bullpen in a winner-take-all type situation within your your regional bracket of the right. World Series, and then be able to bring him back to start a game in the championship series if you get there. I think you start him early. I think every team, essentially, starts their ace early with the idea of pitching them multiple times, depending on how they feel about bringing back their ace. So that's another thing to think about with the way the schedule is spread out more than a regional. It's not one, two, three. You're not going to play every day. You're not going to play every day, and it is uh, is interesting, you know, Southern Miss or Tennessee. And remember, Southern Miss beat LSU last year in the regionals. Tennessee won one of those three games this year in the regular season series. So, both of these teams are familiar with LSU and vice versa. Does that play a role in how Jay attacks it? I don't think so. I think he's just going to throw skeins. I don't think it matters if it's Tennessee or Southern Miss. He's going to be like, we want to start off the right way. We want to get a win right off the bat. We're going to throw the All-American, the best pitcher in the country. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. Like, in addition, and it was Tulane, and he still did it. Now, maybe weather factored in. But also, when you get to Omaha, like, you're not thinking – Oh well, we're going to get past the first game. Let's think about the second game. You got to win every single game you play. And Southern Miss, they're going to potentially be throwing Tanner Hall if it's them, and Tennessee could be throwing Chase Dollander or someone else Correct. who's a top tier arm. So you got to play to win every game. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments, your thoughts, if you will, on the Facebook and the Twitter. It's about what stood out to you the most about LSU Super Regional win over the Kentucky Wildcats. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. 
We'll switch gears a little bit here. We'll go from college to the pros, to the show. It was a bit of a rough weekend. The rough week continued on into the weekend for the Houston Astros. We'll talk about it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Houston Astros dropped two of three to the Cleveland Guardians. They've now lost six of their last ten. Also, Jordan Alvarez, who led the major leagues with 55 RBIs, was placed on the 10-day IL. And uh, they're, you know, struggling a little bit here. They remain five games back of the Texas Rangers. Now, look. Cleveland is an interesting spot because it feels like they're going to try to trade some assets at the trade deadline. But they fought hard. Astros lose the first game, 14 innings. Dawson, 10-9. to It was a marathon game. They bounce back in a big way with the 6-4 win on Saturday. Jose Abreu homered. He drove in three runs. Your boy, J.P. France, didn't have his best stuff. Through, you know, had six walks, but Houston's defense came up big with three double plays to get them out of those jams, and they get the win, and they even up the series. But then yesterday, no Alvarez. Dusty Baker decides to give Jose Altuve a day off for rest. And Shane Bieber, the former Cy Young Award winner, who had been rumored to be on the trade market and could still be moved. We don't know what Cleveland's going to do at the All-Star break. He struck out nine Houston Astro batters, seven scoreless innings as they shut out the Strohs five to nothing to take the series. Yeah, actually, I have a lot more positive things to say than negative about where the Astros are and what happened in that series. Um, by the way, you like to mention the struggle bus often. Um, the AL Central is on the struggle bus. Uh, first place, Oof. Minnesota's 33 and 33. So Cleveland. It's the worst division in baseball. Cleveland's a game and a half back. And so I under, you understand the idea of trying to trade some things here and there, but it's also like this man, how do you tell a fan base that you're not going to go out, you know, not going to try and win this thing when you're right there? I mean, you literally are right there. But we'll see what happens kind of with the AL Central and if, if Minnesota wants to grab a hold of that thing the way I thought they would. Um, but if you're the Astros, here's what happened. Jordan got hurt, but it looks, it sounds, we don't know, it sounds okay. Sounds like a couple of weeks at it's only worst. A, it's only a 10-day IL stint. Yep, sounds like he's going to be back. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but J.P. France looked good again. I actually thought they left him in a little too long when he you know, mm, he kind of scattered his way through six innings. I thought that was where they should have called it. They left him out there. But two solid outings back to back by him. Yeah, and it yeah. feels like he's here to stay, at least as a, as a fourth or fifth option in the rotation. I mean, you, you feel good about that. And Jose Abreu hit the baseball this weekend. He hit it a couple of times. Now, 
traditionally, because he spent the majority of his career in Chicago, he's always hit well in that ballpark. Yeah, and maybe that's what he needed to get to get himself he's right. He's always um, hit well against the Indians slash Guardians there at Jacobs Field, which is now Progressive Field. But that's a big that's you know, we saw, you know, and we mentioned Brett Chancey said he thought he was turning a corner. That different different people have mm-hmm. commented on it. I thought this weekend was much more of a sign than anything we've seen before. Back to back days hitting a ball out of the yard, uh, looking a little bit more confident, getting on base more often. So I think if Jose Bray was able to turn that around, that changes your fortunes a lot as well. And let's remember these were the last these were games fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen of consecutive days played for the Astros. I think fatigue also the end of a long road trip. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of factors in it, and you know you don't love losing two out of three to a team that's below 500. But all things considered, I think this is a great time for an off day. You need to kind of reset, um, and you saw a couple of things that could be signs of encouragement. So you hate the series loss, but I do think that um, it's okay. And Texas didn't, you know, sweep anything to to kind of pull away further than they already were. So you're not losing too much ground in that department. I think you're going to be fine. I love the positivity from you. I think it's built in be, because you have you you have started to have to remind Kevin Foote that it is in fact a hammock season. Yeah, and I got the sounder queued up cuz we'll probably need it today, but it's it's you put a positive spin on dropping a series to a team that's 3 games below 500 and getting shut out in the final game. Like, yes. You and- put a positive spin on that. I I look, that takes some effort, but I appreciate that stand. And Look, I'll be a lot more negative come football season at times, probably about the teams that we follow. But it's just <laughs> look when it's baseball for one, I'm just not like that, especially Major League Baseball. And I give teams that have been to six straight ALCSs the benefit of the doubt more times than not, and they're still in great position. They're still five games back of the Rangers, who, you know, if this was a regular year in the AL West, the Astros would be comfortably in the lead. Just because the Rangers have decided to play a little baseball this year doesn't mean you need to panic when you're a few games back in June. Um, I think everything's still in front of them. And you got the Nationals coming to town too, by the way. That should be that, good, right? That, I mean, that, that's fine. That, and you, you get some time off and you get to host the Nationals. And then Cincinnati after that, who now they're exciting right now, Ellie Dela Cruz and everything that's going on there. But Boy, he looks good. They're not a dominant team overall, so you've got no. a chance to pick up four or five wins on this homestand and, and see where you're at after that. There we go. See, this is a man that likes to think positive. Positive thoughts. From Dawson Eiserlo. We should make that a segment on the show. Thinking positive with D'Lo. Soothing sounds. You may need to be pretty soothing today with with, with our guy. But <laughs> we'll see. Or he could surprise us. He could surprise us and be like, you know, it's a good thing, Cat. It's a good thing. He made this statement at the beginning of the year that all he was worried about was not getting swept, and they have completely obliged him every step of the way. Every which step, is pretty impressive. They, they have, have not, not been swept one yet. One time in sixty games. It's so impressive. he needs to be very thankful, He's and impressed. maybe he should be more specific about his wishes if he doesn't want <laughs> other things to happen. Uh, you know, if your goal is not to get swept, and you believe this is a hammock season, then losing two or three to a team three games below five hundred shouldn't you shouldn't shouldn't matter, shouldn't care. Right? It End shouldn't of a matter. Long road trip, seventeen consecutive days played. It's all fine. It's all good. I I I I understand that. You don't hey, I'm not th- I'm just reporting the facts here. Okay? The, the facts what, are the, the better, facts are that they, they they've lost six the, of their the last The Astros year. and the Rangers both better look in the rearview mirror because Oakland's hot right now. I'll tell you that. They're playing good ball. A's are coming. We gotta take a timeout. 
When we return, we'll switch back over to LSU, talk with Jeff Flaremo for Tiger Rag Radio. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU, 19th time they are headed to the College World Series. That's seventh most of any program in NCAA history after they take care of the Kentucky Wildcats yesterday at Alex Box Stadium to win the Super Regional two games to none. To give his thoughts on what he saw at the box is the man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio. He's also the news and sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network. Our good friend Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning, brother. How are you? Oh, doing well, Raymond. Did you get short you- time? Um, no, I don't know. Looking for the phrase. We just saw each other like five hours ago. Yeah, it feels that way. Um, now, now, uh, now that it's in the books, yeah. What stands out to you the most about what you've seen from this team, uh, not only with the super regionals this past weekend, but the regionals? Well, I, I think I'll hit on something that I think Jay Johnson has talked about pretty much the entire year. Um, obviously, great, a, a very talented team, maybe one of the most talented rosters that LSU's ever had. But I still think it's it's the character of this team that makes it pretty special. I mean, Dylan Cruz is a is a quality dude, right? I mean, he is just. Uh, you know, they talked about it on the radio broadcast last night when I was listening to some of that about, you know, he, he uh, Chris Blair made the point of, uh, I mean, he he is what a college student athlete is is all about. Just goes out there and plays, leads his team. Um, you know, he's done, he's not really boasting too much. I mean, how about that when he, he hits the two-run double and it's, you know, he's pointing to the Tigers across his chest, uh, you know, that, the emblem and cross his chest, you know, and it's not the the back of his name. I mean, the guy could be, um, you know, considering <laughs> being one of the best college baseball players in in the country. I mean, he could have a completely, totally different attitude. But it's it's um, it's been team first uh, for him uh, since the beginning, and uh, I think you just look at some of these other guys. A guy like Kate Beloso hitting the three run homer. Uh, you know, someone that didn't even know he wanted to play anymore, starts the season, barely sees any at-bats, gets a chance, and takes full advantage of it. The bullpen being criticized like they were. And I understand it wasn't like they had to go deep into their bullpen, either in, in both the regional or super regional, but still, guys came out of the bullpen and did what they were supposed to do, guys that Jay Johnson trusted. And it's it's because it's the character, it's the mental fortitude that this team has, which is why they're where they're at, uh, to go along with just the immense talent that they're able to display on the field. Immense talents, and they have it from top to bottom for sure. Uh, I want to put the spotlight on the freshman, uh, Mr. Gidry from Lake Charles, because not only is it obvious that Jay trusts him immensely, 
He is ready for the moment. The moment is not too big for him. He comes into the game last night. There's a runner on on only one out, and he gives up a, a, a single. And all of a sudden, Kentucky's in business. He strikes out the next two batters, and he's flawless the rest of the way to get the save. Uh, just how important has he been, especially on the back end, Jeff? He's He's been critical. I mean, he has been so critical, and I, I thought – there were times that Jay should have used him a little bit more, you know, when this team was going through a rough patch. I mean, I thought what he did going all the way back to the South Carolina series in that game that LSU came back to win, I thought, you know, how he closed that game out. I said, you know what, this kid's pretty special. Uh, for him to do that, hostile environment, uh, a huge win for LSU to at least secure a split. When in that series, you go back to it and it just looked like, you know, South Carolina was world beaters, and LSU, uh, in a way, was kind of shrinking in, in, in the moment. Uh, and he came up, and he stepped up, and he really helped out the team. And, uh, you know, he hasn't necessarily been flawless, but he's a guy that you just trust. I mean, to, and, and you could tell Jay is a guy that really he, he leans on, and, and there's a plenty of older guys on this team to lean on. But, I mean, he tends to lean on some of these older guys. And... Um, I mean, a guy like Riley Cooper, it's just because he has so much trust in him, a guy that he's been around for a long time, and Riley's been around playing college baseball for a long time, or go to a guy like Hayden Travinsky and, and stuff like that. I think he just trusts older players, but you, you can't deny the, the makeup of this kid. Uh, the fact that this, the, the supreme confidence, <laughs> the, the good little story that Jay talked about, uh, when it was announced that Wes Johnson was, uh, you know, moving on to uh, Georgia and Gavin Gidry poking his head in his office saying, hey, it doesn't matter who's calling the pitches. I'm going to strike everyone out anyways. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's that's the bravado that you need. And um, it's going to be fun to see how he develops over the next couple of seasons and see how he performs uh, on college baseball's biggest stage. Well, Jeff, the offense for LSU, it's not like they ever went through any big struggles throughout the year, but there was a little bit of a dip in production at some points when they were struggling a little bit as a team overall. Uh, it sure feels like they've got things figured out again, and, and when that lineup is as deep as it is right now with Tommy White and, and, and plenty of others, including Cruz, like, there's no real way to pitch to this team, is there? No, and I mean Kentucky's coach was talking about that, and and Kentucky's coach really pointed to the to the bottom of the order. I mean, obviously, a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the spotlights at the top of the order with Cruz, White, Morgan, and you know, as well as uh, Hayden Travinsky has been swinging the bat, but it's the bottom of the order that you got to also be concerned about as well. You know, Josh Pearson gets on base three times last night. Um, you got Jordan Thompson, who to me is the best eighth hitter in all of college baseball. And then uh, I know Braden Jobert didn't have a great night last night, but um, he, he's still uh, at the bottom of the order. Uh, you get a few guys on base. I mean, he can he can hit one out of the ballpark. Uh, Kate Beloso's 14 home runs in the middle of the lineup has been huge. Um, I, I thought really what we've seen here in this postseason play is – is the fact that this team has been able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. I, I, I mean, Cade Beloso's three-run homer was was just so huge in this game. Um, I, I don't, you know, if he doesn't come up big there, what, two strikes, two outs on him. If he doesn't come up big in that situation, I don't know. I, I mean, 
I, I think that game goes really down to the wire, and it's a very close game at that point. Uh, but that gives a, a, enough of a separation that I think gave LSU some breathing room. And they've been scoring most of their runs in this postseason play with the home run ball. I mean, that's uh, – I mean, I can't remember how many they hit on Saturday because it seemed like everybody was whacking them out of the park. What did they hit? Six, I think, in the game. They hit one more yesterday. And I said going into the Super Regional Series is if, you know, if LSU hits uh, – Seven, eight, nine home runs in this in in the three game series. I think they got a good chance to win it, and they were going up against a pitching staff that did not yield many home runs. But uh, LSU just overpowered them, and they're going to have to hope that that continues in a bigger ballpark in, in Omaha because uh, this is not a team that's going to be stealing bases. This is not a team that. Um, I mean, they really have relied on the home run ball, and I think for them to continue on and win that seventh national championship in program history, they're going to have to keep hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Well, maybe it's a little early to kind of retrospectively ask about a point in the season, but this team had that point where they were knocked off the pedestal of being the top team in the country. Do you think that helped them at all? And some teams kind of use that as motivation. And, And then the second part of my question would be, do you think it can help them to go into Omaha not as the presumptive favorite that Wake Forest is and kind of be able to take that chip-on-the-shoulder mentality? Well, I think there's two points in this season that you can look at that were kind of gut-check times for them. You know, Jay Johnson brought it up last night, blowing the nine-run lead against Mississippi State. I think that was a time for them to say, okay, especially the guys coming out of the bullpen, all right. <laughs> this is what we have to. We they at that point then they figured out the roles a little bit better. I think at that point they said, okay, these are the guys we're going to go with. These are the guys we're going to trust. These are the guys that we're really going to rely on. Uh, you know, the Christian Littles of the world uh, that they were going to kind of take a step back here. And uh, you know, I'm going to depend on Riley Cooper. I'm going to depend on Gavin Gidry. Uh, Thatcher Hurd's going to be a weapon for us out of the bullpen. Uh, and then sprinkle in a couple other guys, and and then get them get that get the roles finally figured out in that bullpen. And I think that uh, was a big difference. And as Jay said, he thinks the bullpen has been a strength of the team since then. And then I think the other one was Dylan, what Dylan Cruz mentioned last night. Uh, they go one and two in the SEC tournament. Uh, granted, winning that SEC tournament doesn't really mean anything in the in the in the grand scheme of things. It wouldn't maybe improves their seeding by one. Uh, it adds another trophy in the trophy case, but in the end, it really doesn't matter. But the fact that they went one and two, I think that sent a message to the team that, hey, we're better than this. I mean, if we're truly one of the best teams in the country, we can't go into tournaments and just win one game. And the, the layoff then of having the, the, the full week off after losing on that Friday in Hoover and then coming back that next game, against Tulane in the opener of the regional. I think it, uh, it, and Jay again alluded to it, the fact that the preparation from this team over the last two weeks has been elite. And I think it kind of goes back to, um, you know, a, a, an unsuccessful trip to the SEC tournament. Wrapping up our conversation with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I've covered a lot of games in the box over the years. It's been a long time since 
the atmosphere was as electric as it was this past weekend, Jeff. You've covered a lot of those games as well. Yeah. When's the last time you remember the box being that that lit, so to speak? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I mean, maybe going back, I'm trying to think, who did they beat in the 2017 Super Regional Series to get to the College World Series? I don't know why I can't. I, I mean, I think the, uh, uh, the, the LSU-Oklahoma Super Regional Series was pretty lit. That was when you had Aaron Nolan and Jonathan Gray going at each other. But, you know, I watched the, I guess it was probably maybe the last inning and a half or so, you know, right behind the Kentucky dugout. And you just get a, a perspective from it, you know, especially as I go there. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, waving the purple and gold pom pom. So I'm really taking things in and kind of looking around. It is just such an intimidating place for an opposing team. I mean, Last night it was hot. There was barely like any air moving, and it just felt like as Kentucky kept bringing in pitcher after pitcher from the bullpen, and they get greeted with that Tiger Bait chant, and then they get on the mound. They probably can't even breathe. It's just so suffocating in there. You got eleven thousand, well, twelve thousand fans, you know, breathing down your neck, uh, um, and you can't find the strike zone and you're throwing the ball to the backstop. I mean, I, I've seen that so many times, uh, especially in super regional games, regional games, teams just kind of melting out there. Um, you know, the way they got blasted 14 to nothing, I, I would think there, there might have been maybe, Kentucky might have been thinking, hey, maybe 9 o'clock at night, maybe the crowd's going to be a little dead here, maybe – no, <laughs> I mean, it helped when Trey Morgan hits a home run, you know, in the first inning that, that kind of launched the Tigers in that game. But they had to, after on the ride back from the bus to the hotel after the game, they had to just be sitting there saying, what, what, that was just, that was intense. I mean, it just, it just never stopped. It was just wave and wave of, you know, LSU's offense flexing its muscles and the crowd getting on their feet. And um, it, it is, uh, I, I mean, Alec Box is—it's it's a kind of a cookie cutter stadium, guys. There's not a, like when you just see it. There's not a lot of charm, right? You know, compared to like you know a lot of stadiums out there, minor league and all that. But man, when you put twelve thousand fans in there on a on a warm early June night, I don't know. There's not a better place in 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 all of baseball to take in a game. I would agree with you. It, it, it was far more electric than the 2019 Super Regional against Florida State. Yeah, uh, right. But you, you, you remember in 2017, that was the Super Regional win over Mississippi State. Um, okay, all yeah, right. So all that right. was – I kind of vaguely remember that. Yeah, it's vaguely been, remember that. It's, it's, it's been a minute for sure. Jeff, appreciate your time and your insight as always, brother. Thank you so much for it. Uh, enjoy your week, my friend. All right, should be fun. Thanks a lot, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
What was the most notable thing about LSU's Super Regional victory? Was it the weather shenanigans? Was it the offensive explosion? Was the bullpen strength? Or was it other? Let's get to some comments on Facebook. Jude on Facebook says bullpen was excellent and the bats came alive again. Edward on Facebook says definitely the bullpen was the most notable. And that bullpen has really found itself at the end of the season. You saw it at the SEC tournament. You've seen it in the regional. You've seen it in the Super Regional. They'll need to have that bullpen perform that way if they want to have a chance to make a run in Omaha. 47% of you say it is bullpen strength. 29% say weather shenanigans. 20% say offensive explosion. 4% of you say other. Hart on Twitter says, that Rocco's Jello shot challenge doesn't stand a chance with LSU faithful heading to Omaha. <laughs> They're all upset because Arkansas fans came out in droves last year. I think uh, I think LSU fans will take care of them there. Hudat uh, Forever says they're really getting hot at the right time. That is absolutely correct there as well. Also, news for the LSU fan. Bill, this was an announcement from LSU. For all the LSU fans traveling to Omaha, the Tiger Athletic Foundation, the TAF, the L Club, and the LSU Alumni Association will be hosting the official LSU headquarters starting on Saturday, June 17th, and that will be at Annie's Irish Pub on Davenport Street in Omaha. (laughs) So TAF and LSU are taking over an Irish pub in Omaha, so... I would expect to see plenty of purple and gold there. So Annie's Irish Pub, that's the place to go, Tiger fans, if you're going to Omaha for the College World Series. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off here shortly. More discussion. D'Lo's got brilliant things to say. That's all next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Boy, it helps to be a well-conditioned athlete like myself. Never get out of breath. Never. (laughs) Welcome back to RP3 and company. Hour number three has arrived on this Monday edition. Of course, we spent the majority of the day talking about LSU beating Kentucky two games to none to win the Super Regional matchup. They punched their ticket to Omaha for the 19th time in program history, but the first trip to the College World Series since 2017 for the Proud program. We'll get off course a little bit in a half hour from now as we'll talk to Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. He'll join us, D'Lo, to recap OTAs because we know how much you love OTAs. This is especially for you. And then look ahead to minicamp, which begins this week down in Metairie. Um, yeah, just to give an update. Uh, well, first of all, you mentioned, you know, because you just sprinted somewhere and, and came back right before the break was over, but. Uh, I always take the stairs at, at the Teague and uh, to the press box, and there's always this moment where I kind of have to kind of regain myself in the hallway before I enter the press box so that I don't kind of make a fool of myself when I walk in amongst my peers in there to cover a Cajuns baseball game. But I like I, taking the stairs. It keeps me 
keeps my steps. You know, I've been I've been trying to be more healthy, right? Sure. So yesterday I get to the box and I see the line for the elevators, and I'm like, you know what? Yes. But I'm taking those stairs. Let's do it. I'm RP3. I'm below 300 pounds. I've lost 30 pounds. Let's go. I got this. And when I got up to the second landing, (laughs) I was like, I was like, I thought to myself, oh, you are a big, big dummy. You should have just waited for the elevator. But I made it. I walked all the way up to the uh, press box. Now, did I take my moment uh, outside and probably... Stepped into the restroom facility to dry off, so I wouldn't be a big sweaty mess it puffing warm, and puffing it into the warm press and box. Muggy, right? Those those uh, Ooh, yeah. those wonderful rains that didn't come until well after the game should have been over on Saturday bring in that kind of steamy that that sauna effect. It and was that, that lasted all weekend, right? I mean, I felt it over here. I, I wasn't quite in Baton Rouge, but I know I'm sure the weather patterns were similar. It was a sweaty weekend, yeah, in Baton Rouge, and it's and it's it's. It's a different type, which Jeff Conn, I think he did a good job describing. It's a different type of feeling. And, you know, if you're from the South, you, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But when it's night and it's not the sun that's creating the heat, it's the moisture and the humidity that's oh, creating the heat. It's, it's a different type of heat. It's 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 better in some ways, worse in others. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely something. I used to always struggle with the hands and the batting gloves and the grip. It was always an issue in the summer, sweaty summer, humid days in Louisiana. But uh, the other big update I have for you is that um, you know, I've been drinking coffee this morning as I do every morning. Um, but I mentioned this to you in the break um, earlier today. Didn't quite have the right ratio of creamer to coffee this morning, so I figured I'd stop in the break room, kind of fix things up. And I wasn't thinking because it was five whatever in the morning uh, on my way in here to, to to get my morning started. What'd you do? What'd Went you with do? the powdered creamer and didn't think about the fact I drink cold coffee by the way in the mornings. Um, and I didn't think about the fact that that's not going to dissolve very well. And so now we're getting to the bottom of the cup, and it's only getting worse. We have more and more clumps of this, you know, undissolved creamer that's sitting and floating throughout the cup. Um, it's not a great scene, but I will power through it and finish my morning cup of coffee. Um, but that is my other update for the morning. So it hasn't been perfectly ideal, but it's Monday, so sometimes those things are just not going to go your way on Mondays. That's kind of how the world works sometimes. <laughs> that, that very, very well said. Very well said. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. Everything is going LSU's way. The bullpen is starting to come into form, and we're we're seeing who Jay Johnson trusts. And Jeff Plermo did a very nice job of kind of diving into that as well. We know he trusts Cooper because he's known him for so long. He brought him over from Arizona. He has learned how to trust Thatcher Hurd. He's earned his trust. He trusts Ackenhausen as well. But he really trusts Gavin Guidry. Like he could have went so many different ways yesterday. You, you notice a couple of guys we haven't seen in a long time. Now we've been we we keep being told that Coleman we haven't seen him because they're wanting to use him in a starter role. Essentially, is what how it's been kind of phrased to us in the media in post game, which kind of makes sense. They probably would have needed to use Coleman in a winner-take-all game. But, you know, we've seen them piece it together with Thatcher Hurd and Ackenhausen and Cooper and others, and we haven't seen Coleman. He's been MIA for a while. Now, they the, the flip side of that is that they haven't had to use him. But he's still getting mentioned. You know who doesn't get any 
playing time and doesn't get mentioned at all? Blake Money and Christian Little. Because Jay doesn't trust them. And he'll never come out and say that, but the results are what they are. He's going to Cooper, he's going to Gidry, he's going to Ackenhausen, and he's going to Thatcher. Those are the guys that he trusts out of the pen. And it's worked for them in the last three weeks. And that's what I fully expect to see in Omaha as well. You're not going to all of a sudden see Christian Little getting out there and getting four innings of work. Now, will you see some of those guys if things happen because yes. of the, the length of the tournament? Yeah, yes. it's possible. And, and, yes. and that's one of the advantages of Super Regional play when you get to this time of the year. When you can shorten that, and especially if you get it done in two games, you can really shorten it. You can really kind of limit who you use. Um, by the way, wonderfully, I do have now, we have figured out the creamer situation um, in case I need future creamer. It was a delivery. It was specially done. I want to thank everyone involved with that. That was incredibly quickly done. Um, and that's just the type of things that go on here at Delta Media. Everybody's looking out for each other. Um, but, no one likes clumpy coffee. No, it's not. Oh, and it was my fault. I want that to be clear. Like, it was fully my fault for just not thinking about the powder. You are fully responsible. No, and I, and I made a mistake. There but, it is. Um, again, that's what happens on Mondays. But, no, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see not only how he uses guys throughout the tournament, but who's the first options that he goes with. And I think that's all going to be matchup dependent. We've seen that. He likes I would see that. He likes the lefties in in situations that are – but the, the interesting thing, too, is he doesn't necessarily use his lefties as lefty specialists. He'll use them for some length, especially guys like Cooper and Ackenhausen. We've seen them both pitch multiple innings. Yes. Um, so if you go with Skeens in game one, which I expect he will, is is Gavin Gidry the true closer now, too? I think that's a question. And I think he probably, yes. It like, feels that way. Now, the other advantage you've had when Paul Skeens pitches, more times than not, you haven't had very dicey – one two run games you've had to close out right like you've gotten big leads in some of these games Tulane was one and this time against you know Kentucky was another um but is it really kind of you know matchup dependent or is Gidry now going to be that if we get to the eighth with a lead and Skeens is out of gas or something you know something goes down in, in these first couple games I think Gidry's going to be his shutdown guy I think that's the guy who's earned his most trust and, and he trusts in the high leverage the way the way things have kind of gone down here it feels like Cooper's the guy they bring in to stop the bleeding, right? He feels like the guy that can eat up innings for them, two to three innings. Hey, our starter doesn't have his best stuff. I can bring in Cooper. He's going to take care of us. That's what it feels like. And then you either turn the ball over to Ackenhausen or Gidry to close it out. That's what it feels like to me. Now, Thatcher could also be a guy that could eat up innings. Or you could do the Johnny Holstaff approach, and that's where Thatcher kind of plays a role. But Christian Little, Blake Money, they have been pushed aside. And Jay has his guys. Like, you've seen it. He has shown you. It has nothing to do with what he says. It has everything to do with what he's showing you. The guys he's calling on when their season has been on the line. Got to get out of the regional. Got to get the job done. Who are we calling on? Got to get to Omaha. Who are we calling on? That's what he's telling you. Their most important games, who is he called on? That shows you everything that you need to know. LSU moving on to the College World Series for the 19th time. That's the seventh most in NCAA history. They break a tie with Cal State Fullerton in Arizona, by the way. Now, Jay's been to the College World Series. How much of a role do you think that's going to play, d 
I mean, it certainly plays some. I, I think especially when you look at the fact of how to handle a pitching staff, I that's where I think it, it comes into play. Now, Jay's not a pitching first guy, right? He's certainly a guy who who, who is a – and we've talked about that throughout the year. Sometimes people have been critical of some of the decisions that they've made pitching-wise because of that. Um, but I think understanding and knowing how to handle a pitching staff, how, when to use your high-leverage guys, when to realize that it's a long tournament, but when to also realize that each game is important in its own right, and you can't get to the next. You can't, and that's the thing too. It's dangerous to do it in regional play, right? Think about the next game. You almost can't in Omaha. Like you, you can't have that approach of, well, we know we're going to get this one. So what's what we're what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do in two days? It's now it's okay to save guys and and say, okay, these guys aren't pitching today because of the future games that we're going to have. But um, you, you just can't count their your you know. Let's use a cliche. You count count your chickens before they hatch. As I'm struggling to get that oh. sentence out on a Monday. Outstanding. Um, you can't really do that in Omaha, right? And I think a coach like Jay Johnson, who's been there before, is going to understand that. Now, there's going to be a couple of coaches who haven't been there, maybe within his own bracket, right? And in some of the teams like Wake Forest and Southern mm-hmm. Miss, could um, be. who haven't been in a long time or at all, right? And that could all be interesting too, how that plays out. On the other side of the bracket, too, you have kind of the same situation. you got a couple of teams in Virginia and Florida who are no strangers. TCU, who's even make, made an appearance in the past decade. Uh, and then you've got Oral Roberts, who's like the new kid on the block. How are they going to handle being in Omaha for the first time? But, hey, they handled going to Stillwater and going to Eugene pretty simply already. So, you know, we, we know they're battle-tested. Uh, yeah, I think that helps. It, you certainly like to be there. And we even heard, think about co- what Coach Jerry Glasgow told us in the softball Super Regionals with the UL. Like, he already feels better about the next time they're in a Super because he necessarily hadn't been there as a head coach, right? And, and it was an, an adjustment for him, and he said he learned a lot. Um, so I think whether coaches tell you that or not, I do think it's certainly an advantage to have been there, and, and that's something that they'll have that not everybody within their bracket and within the whole tournament will have. And we've seen who, once again, Jay Trust. And look, Blake did get some run this weekend, which was key because we hadn't seen him in a long time. Now he comes in for schemes, the game is out of hand. There's no pressure on Blake money in that regard. And he pitched a clean. He pitched a clean inning in a third. For the Tigers. If they're going to use Blake or Christian, let's say it gets to that scenario because we know who Jay trusts. We broke it down for him. He trusts Cooper. He trusts Gavin. He trusts Ackenhausen. He trusts Thatcher. Then you get to that next level of Blake and Christian Little. I think he's going to utilize them in situations where there's a comfortable lead because he hadn't used Blake in a long time, and he used him on Saturday night when it was a home run fest and Skeens had already kind of set the tone and they had, had a comfortable lead in that ballgame against Kentucky. And he comes in and finishes out the game, right? There was no pressure on Blake. I don't think you're going to see him put Blake money in a game that there's two runners on and the game is tied. He's going to bring in Cooper for that or Ackenhausen for that. I don't think he's going to utilize Blake money that way. Well... That's an idea, but again, when you get to this point of the year and you get to Omaha and you have to potentially play four, five, six games, depending on how it works out, you don't always all you don't always have the luxury of choosing your spots That's for fair. each individual That's guy. That's fair. And we'll That's see. Fair. That's fair. Another thing that helps you out a little bit, by the way, with your pitching staff, which has been largely much better recently, 
uh, is you're going to a pretty pitcher-friendly ballpark in TD Ameritrade over in Omaha. Now, it's not quite as pitcher-friendly as it was when it was originally constructed. As you remember, it was like trying to get a ball out of polo grounds in dead center field <laughs> for a couple of years there. What was there, like one or two home runs hit the entire World Series for a couple of different it, it, seasons there? It was dead. It you, was a vortex, oh, it and was it was uh, a pitcher's dream. It's no longer like that. Um, balls get out of there, but it is still a largely pitcher-friendly park. And I think, too, what's really interesting is a team like Wake Forest. Now, we've mentioned it. Their pitching staff did kind of the unthinkable in what the numbers they put up in a very hitters-friendly park in Winston-Salem were. But how does a team like that that's offensively used to being able to hit the ball out of the yard whenever they please, how do they play in a, in a, in a park that big, right? And Alec Box, I think, is somewhat in the middle, right? It's not super pitcher-friendly. It's not super hitter-friendly at times. I think maybe more hitter than pitcher. Uh, if you want to go with with the you know the kind of the nitty gritty of it, but I think it's a little bit easier of an adjustment to make for a team like LSU than it is for a team like Wake um, or some of the teams that just play in much smaller ballparks. So I think that's an interesting layer to the College World Series as well. It's going to be interesting how they play in that park, how their game transfers to Omaha, right? Because they're big boppers, they love to hit home runs, they also love to get hit by pitches. Or pitchers love to hit them. Gavin Dugas got hit three times yesterday, by the way. And I, yeah. <laughs> three times in a single. Pretty game. fitting, too, because um, that's been his MO for quite a while. <laughs> the, the, man, the man got hit three times in a single game. It's just like, come on, man. That was brutal. But LSU moves on to the College World Series for the first time since 2017. We're still trying to figure out who they'll play in that first game at the College World Series. It'll either be Southern Miss or Tennessee. They allegedly are supposed to play today. Allegedly. we got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll get to a little of the other stuff that you may have missed over the weekend. Belmont Stakes, NASCAR, and a little PGA Tour as well. RBC Canadian Open. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. While plenty of the focus, and rightfully so, was on college baseball this weekend, um, there were plenty of other sporting events going on. And once again... It was the second straight weekend where multiple screens was uh, at a premium here because uh, there was plenty going on. I got a chance to watch the final round of the RBC Canadian Open, and I actually wasn't really even, I don't know, I wasn't even planning on it. It was one of those things where, where there was so much going on, you kind of said, well, if I have to pick one, I'm not going to watch. Maybe it'll be that tournament. But I kind of flipped over and saw the leaderboard where it was heading down the stretch, and I had to kind of watch the final nine holes or so for the leaders and, man, I'm glad I did because it turned into an absolute electric factory over there. I didn't realize the long drought and the history in which Canadian golfers had struggled to win tournaments in Canada. As a, a matter of fact, it's been more than a half a century, I it's believe. ridiculous. Since a Canadian had won in Canada. You would have thought for sure that 
well, someone else had, would have won. I mean, Mike Weir has been a you know fantastic golfer, had a tremendous career on the PGA Tour from Canada, and, and there's been others. He's not the only one. So, yeah. Um, now, they, there was a lot of discussion, too, throughout the tournament. Mike Weir lost in a playoff to Vijay Singh back in the day, in the mid-2000s, at the RBC Canadian Open. Oh, there's some knowledge. There's some history. Yeah, how about that? And But it Let's was go. funny, too, because the commentators were kind of talking about, like, Vijay Singh basically apologized when he won that tournament because of how much the crowd was on the side of Mike Weir. Um, but, you know, VJ eventually beat him, and it was like this, well, I'm sorry I beat your guy thing at the end of the tournament. And there was a little bit of that in play here. So, basically, um, it was a dramatic finish um, for Nick Taylor, who was not in the final pairing. He was actually ahead of the game, four or five groupings ahead. And he's tied at 16 under par with a couple other guys, but he goes and makes birdie on 18, a great, like, 15-foot swinging putt that he drains. Big show of emotion. The crowd goes crazy. And it kind of looks like he's going to win it because all the guys who are at 16 under are in the clubhouse and they're done for the day. But Tommy Fleetwood was a couple of shots back and he was in the final grouping. So Fleetwood starts getting hot here, makes a couple of birdies, and all of a sudden he's at 17 under par with still the 18th to play. It's a par 5. It's pretty gettable. Birdies are pretty common on the 18th hole over there. And it, it turned into this kind of, uh-oh, like our guy might be in trouble for the Canadian fans. And Tommy Fleetwood then hits his drive, hits iron off the tee and misses the fairway, and then starts scrambling essentially for par. So it turns into this situation where Fleetwood looked like he was going to win it with a birdie. Now we don't even know if he's going to get into the playoff because if he makes bogey, then Nick Taylor wins. Fleetwood comes back, makes his par, forces a playoff, and there's not you know much of a home field advantage in golf usually, right, for the most part. You don't see, you know, you don't play home games. Um, this was a home game for Nick Taylor, and the crowd was on his side. Now, you're trying to maintain respectful when it comes to, to golf you know, fandom as well, right? There's no heckling while guys are trying to take their shots. You'll be certainly kicked out of the event if you try to do so. Um, but they were certainly not supportive of Tommy Fleetwood as often, and this was an electric playoff. It actually goes to the fourth sudden-death playoff hole, and then Nick Taylor hits a 70-footer for birdie, one of the best putts you'll ever see. Hits a 70-footer to win the tournament, and just the the roar and the emotion, um, winning in his home country with the crowd behind him. It was it was kind of Ryder Cup esque, right? That that just pure fandom in golf that you don't always see, just because of the way that golf is as as a sport. And it was just tremendous. You're burying the lead, though. Okay. On what made the moment even more special? Uh, are you talking about what took place afterwards? <laughs> so yes. Yes. Adam Hadwin is a fellow Canadian and a good friend of uh, our champion, Nick Taylor. Yes. And um, he had finished up his round. I believe he finished tied for sixth in this tournament. So he had had a nice day himself. Um, didn't quite get into the mix for the win, but was certainly playing good golf. Mm-hmm. And he decided, uh, rightfully so, that he was going to go celebrate on Canadian soil with his Canadian brother in Nick Taylor um, and wanted to bring a little champagne to the table, it looked like, or some sort of that was a bottle of champagne. There, right? That was a bottle of champagne. Um, but it seems like the security involved with the RBC Canadian Open, A, must have played linebacker or safety in high school or college or beyond. He demolished him, man. And B, maybe misread the situation a little bit because Adam Hadwin got took out like Brandon Cooks going over the middle against prime Ray Lewis. And um, he, just, he got speared. Yeah, he got crushed. And then, of course, immediately everybody around was like, no, no, it's okay. This guy is like a PGA Tour pro. This isn't a random fan who ran out of the course here. Um, it looked like Adam got up and was okay. It comes um, around. There's a great angle yes. of it. 
where the <laughs> they're filming it and they're filming from behind of him celebrating with his caddy and all of a sudden you see the golfer come in with the spray you know he's got the bottle of champagne he shakes it up and he starts spraying them and they're joyous they're like yes we're being sprayed with champagne and you see the security guard you see him he latches on his eyes are locked Look, and then he comes around he had seen that like drag a puma route. about to attack a victim <laughs> He saw on film, he saw that drag route when the safeties drop. He knew they were going to try and attack the zone coverage with a little soft completion, getting up the field, and he read it like a book. And, I mean, perfect form, too. He this just guy took him out. I mean, you know, there's no Canadian NFL team, but the CFL, I think the Argonauts have to have an eye on this guy because it was perfect form. Now, also in his defense, you know, He's obviously thinking this is an intruder on, well, of on course. the celebration. He's, he's, he's doing his job. But and if it, it would have been a though. random fan who happened to get his hands on a bottle of champagne, which I guess there would have been a whole lot of factors involved with that taking place. But, you know, he thought he was doing his job there. So not not to be too hard on the guy. but um, It was amazing. Adam Hadwin, and especially, look, when you're not bracing, for those of us who, you know, if you haven't played, if you're not bracing for a hit like that, <laughs> that's quite a shock to the system. It is. I mean, wow. It is a phenomenal thing that, that happened. Uh, that happened at the RBC Canadian Open. Canadian wins it for the first time in you know multiple generations. I want to switch over to NASCAR quick, uh, quickly. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. wins the race at Sonoma Raceway. Um, he passed Chase Elliott for the lead on the final stage restart and held off Kyle Busch for a second NASCAR Cup Series victory of the season. Truex has now won twice. Kyle Busch has won a bunch of races as well. Uh, the older gentlemen this year are flexing their muscles, aren't they? Yeah, how about the resurgence? And um, MTJ, as Martin has referred to at times, oh, actually has announced, wow. by the way, that this is going to be his final season. So this is the farewell tour of sorts for, for Truex. Now, there's also been some rumors. Is he going to stick to that? Is he going to maybe want to stick around after the season? That'll be determined at a later date, but... Um, he's putting together a nice run, and we saw the Hendrick car so dominant at portions of the year. Kyle Larson, you know, and then Elliott had the injury, but when he's been back, Bowman, William Byron's been kind of the leader of that whole group with the Hendrick cars. But recently, we're kind of seeing some other guys. Yeah, you mentioned Kyle Busch and, and Richard Childress Racing, and now second win for Martin Truex Jr. over at Gibbs. The power dynamic seems to be shifting a little bit, and, um, you know, those playoff points, again, in case you're unfamiliar with it, Five playoff points for every regular season win. You also get one for a stage win. So MTJ stacking some stage points, some uh, playoff points, rather, heading towards the second half of the season. By the way, this is essentially the unofficial halfway point. Um, and the way NASCAR kind of divides that up is you'll have Fox's coverage is over, and now the rest of the races, there'll be an off week this week, and then NBC picks up the rest of the season. So kind of the unofficial halfway mark here, heading towards the stretch run before the playoffs. Um, and, and a big win for, yeah, the veteran guys showing up. The guys up in the, up in the 40s in age, getting uh, they've combined for, what now, four wins between Kyle and, and Martin Truex Jr., so very impressive there. And, you know, we, we want to uh, talk so much about the young guys, the young guys, the young guys, who's taking over. Well, the, the old heads are having something to say about that. They're like, yeah, just because we may be older – doesn't mean that we still can't get out here and get the checkered flag. And Truex had such an such a bad luck ridden season last year. Had multiple opportunities in which he should have been in in victory lane and, and didn't get there. So I think some of this was kind of owed, and and you figured it was going to go his way a couple times this year. It has already, and he's going to have plenty more chances. And for Kyle Busch, we've already hinted at it a little bit earlier in the year. A statement for him uh, leaving Gibbs and trying to say he's not done yet. He's certainly done that. And again, he was in the mix once again. Almost got himself another victory. So. 
Those two certainly make a statement. But what happened in the world of racing elsewhere? Belmont Stakes didn't look like it was even going to run yeah. because of the wildfires coming down from Canada, the smoke billowing into New York. How about Canada and the news and sports? Oh, so much Canadian news. <laughs> Too bad that there's not a Canadian team playing for the Lord Stanley Trophy. But Archangelo wins the Belmont Stakes. They do run it. What's important about that is that the trainer is a female, and that becomes the first female trainer ever to win the Belmont Stakes, the 155th running of the Belmont Stakes. It was pretty impressive. Pulled ahead of National Treasure down the stretch, running away from the rest of the pack and holding off a late-charging Forte. If you remember, Forte was in the mix at the Kentucky Derby, a late scratch, if you remember, um, for the running of the Roses. So history made, first female trainer to win the Belmont Stakes in a race that looked like very much may not happen. May not happen because of the conditions, so... Lots to get to. See, it just wasn't all NCAA baseball regional. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Ross Jackson will join us from the Locked On Saints podcast. OTAs are wrapped up. Minicamp begins this week for the New Orleans Saints. Ross will talk all about it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know you're living your best life if you're on social media on a delightful Sunday asking for folks' advice on what you should do because your life has gotten to the point you're so successful at your job hosting the Locked on Saints podcast and doing other things that you have to decide between watching a super regional or going to an off-Broadway production. That's life goals right there, and that's what our guy Ross Jackson has to deal with these days. Good morning, bud. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Doing great, bud. Glad to be here with you. Uh, to, uh, to to help with all that, I uh, I chose the Super Regional. Well, that's not true. Weather chose the Super Regional for me, but I was glad that I, uh, that I got to watch LSU uh, stamp their ticket to the uh, College World Series. There it is. There it is. Uh, all right, brother. Uh, OTAs. Look, there's not a lot you can take from that. At least that's always been my case. You really can't start getting a lot of intel, so to speak, until really training camp starts ramping up. But there are some things you can make maybe make mental notes about and kind of follow back up on later. Right? Things that kind of stand out yeah. to you, and you go, "Hmm, let, let's see if that progresses." And if it does, I can kind of circle back to it. What are some of the things that you saw at OTAs that you're going to be keeping an eye on for moving forward as minicamp begins this week for the Saints? Yeah, I kind of have two categories here, and the first of which is are, you know things that we saw that I'd like to see more of, and then things that I that we didn't get to see yet that uh, that you know we'd certainly like to see uh, start to see. And so, in that first category of things that we saw a little bit that we'd like to see more of. I'm really excited to see more Jordan Howden. Um, Saints selected him out of Minnesota in the fifth round. 
safety, probably one of the more the most unheralded draft selection of the seven that the Saints made. You've seen a lot of talk about Jake Hayner, some of which has to do with the photos that he took, others of which have to do with the play on the field. You've seen some things about A.T. Perry, Nick Saldaveri, the, the guys in the in days one and two. But Jordan Howden hasn't gotten a lot of shine. And, and really, you know, we've asked about him, we've checked in about him, all these other things, and we've learned that the Saints really love him, and they look forward to what he's going to be at the next level. So I'm excited to see you know, how he continues to grow throughout minicamp. Uh, excited to see how the receivers continue to perform throughout minicamp, as well as Derek Carr, uh, and how they all continue to fit in. So those are kind of the big three things that I'm watching in terms of what we've seen a little bit of, want to see more of. When it comes to what we haven't seen that I'd like to see more of, I think we want to see A.T. Perry making more plays. I think we want to see him coming down with contested catches, those things. And I think he's got the tools to do it. He absolutely has the talent to do it. I think we'll start to get there with him. And then outside of that, it's maybe some of the attendance, right? Taysom Hill wasn't there during OTAs. Is he there during mandatory minicamps? And if so, where does he fit in? We know he'll still be in the tight end room, but what does that role look like for him on offense? I think we can start to maybe get a little bit of those answers once we get into mini camps, or at least understanding where the Saints will start training camp with that understanding. You know, you mentioned A.T. Perry. I guess that was one of the big questions for me is, I, look, we know Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and, and Rashid Shahid. Th- those are going to be your guys. Those are going to be your top three wideouts. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's, okay, well, they they bring in the former Pittsburgh Steeler, and they still got Traquan Smith, inexplicably he has a roster spot. Um, I, I joke, I jest, but no, really, he does. And you know, At Perry. So is is there going to be a full on wide open competition to fi- figure out who's going to be that fourth and number five wide receiver on this roster? Yeah, I, I do think so, and I think you're going to see a lot of different competitions this offseason as the Saints will kind of draw up their depth chart in chalk. But I do think that you start to look at guys like, you know, look, Brian Edwards already has a really good con- uh, really good uh, connection with Derek Carr. Of course, they spent time together with the Raiders. Uh, James Washington is somebody that gives you a little bit more of a field stretcher, a little bit more, you know, another downfield threat, but doesn't give you the big body. So that's maybe where a guy like Brian Edwards checks a box that maybe some of the other guys don't. A.T. Perry, Shaq Davis, both of those coming in as rookies, drafted and undrafted respectively. Both of them are the big body guys. Can they come in and show what they could do as a backup behind Michael Thomas? A.T. Perry wants to be able to show what he can do in the slot. Does he get that opportunity? So I think there's more and more of that that will, that will continue, and I think that that, um, that position right there, that, that wide receiver four spot, rather, uh, amongst the depth chart, is going to be a hotly contested battle uh, between several guys that are going to be there. And who knows, we might not have seen the end of, of the people that might be involved in that battle either. There's still all the Hunter Renfro rumors out there and things like that. Is that a spot that the Saints are still looking to, to add more competition as well? It's very possible as they, uh, as they head through minicamp and then slide in before uh, training camp. Ross, the month of June for me when it comes to NFL coverage, I always laugh. It's it's the month I call best shape of his life month because everybody comes oh, back yeah. and they're in the best shape of their life. Uh, and that seems to be a recurring theme every year. But kind of jokes aside with that, what about the veterans on this roster, the guys like Cam Jordan and Demario Davis that are maybe fighting father time at this point? we got no reason to believe that their play has suffered um, any and is going to suffer, you know, I guess significantly this year. But do you have confidence that those guys are going to still be themselves, especially some of the ones on the defensive side? Yeah, I, I think I do. And, and I think a big part of that is, you know, if they're fighting father time, they're certainly not losing yet. And, and I think it's easy to see, you know, when, when a fighter is losing in the, in the ring. 
and we're not watching either one of these guys stumble around. We're not watching any of these guys get to a point where you know they they look like they're about to get knocked out here. So I think that they're in a good spot. Demario Davis has looked great throughout OTAs. Um, you know the usual when it comes to him, and you know he you know continues to be you know the big time leader, the emotional leader uh, of the locker room, and and a guy that you know rallies everybody throughout practices and that talks trash to the offense and the other side of the ball and everything. So you're still seeing all the things that you're accustomed to seeing from these guys. Neither of them feel like they've you know lost a step or anything like that. Now it's it's hard to evaluate. You know, performance-wise, when it comes to OTAs, as we've as we've been discussing, but in particular on the defensive line and in the trenches, because nobody's really trying to tackle anybody, right? You're just trying to make sure that you're in the right spot where you're supposed to be, and that you're fulfilling your responsibilities correctly, and all those other things. So that becomes a little bit more challenging to really be able to tell at this time. But so far, so good when it comes to the guys that the Saints are going to be relying on to be their defensive leaders. Over on the other side, the offensive line, it's always a fascinating point for me to look at where an offensive line evolves from year to year. And the Saints took Saldaveri, but it wasn't like they spent an early round draft pick. With that being said, there's been a lot of buzz. Assuming health, which you can never really do, especially with the Saints on that side, mm-hmm. do you expect the starters to be the starters we've had in the past? Or do you think somebody like Saldaveri or somebody else can challenge for one of those starting spots in the front five? I think I think Saldaveri could challenge for a starting spot on the front five, particularly that left guard spot, um, especially after the uh, renegotiation or the the re let's call it restructuring of uh, of Andrus Pete's deal, which was effectively uh, a, a pay cut, and he's now in a in a contract year, and so I, I think that the door's wide open for a guy like Nick Saldaveri to potentially challenge there. Uh, but you know, look, you're you're absolutely right. That's the position right there where you know you're going to have injuries. I mean, it's the NFL. You're going to have injuries in the trenches. Uh, it's the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I don't know how you can expect, how anybody can expect right now that they're going to be, you know, just inexplicably healthy all of a sudden based upon everything that they've gone through over the course of the past couple of years. But hey, if they, you know, curb that injury history just a little bit, then they'll be, you know, in a much better spot than what we've seen them in uh, here in the recent past. And so. Um, you know, there's reason for, I don't want to call it hope, but there's a reason for, you know, optimism when it comes to, um, you know, that, that certain position group and everything and how they can continue to build that out. They didn't invest highly on it, but look, I mean, them going up and, you know, moving into the very top of the third round, making sure that they were the very, very first selection of day three, and they went and drafted um, Nick Saldaveri with that selection, that tells you how much they really like him. So I, I wouldn't close the book on him or, or put a ceiling on him in terms of how quickly he might be able to compete for a spot, particularly at a position where the Saints are going to do everything that they can um, along that offensive line to make sure that they're protecting their newest and biggest asset in, um, in uh, Derek Carr, of course. Ross, what's more intriguing to you as you get ramped up for minicamp and training camp? how they're going to utilize all the talented guys they have on the back end of the defense and the secondary because they have a lot of versatile guys back there that are going to be competing hard for playing time? Or is it who's going to rise to the occasion and be the number three linebacker for this unit? I think probably the former, uh, looking at the, the defensive backs. I think the, the conversation between third linebacker is one that's already pretty clear at this point, at least. Now, that's not to say that things don't change over time, but I have a little bit more clarity on that. And it kind of depends on how you define third linebacker, right? Do you mean third linebacker as in the third linebacker that is lining up next to Demario Davis and Pete Warner in three linebacker sets? Because if so, then we're, we're, we're talking about Zach Bond there is pretty clearly the guy that's at least the leader in the clubhouse. 
uh, to be that guy. But if we're talking about third linebacker, as in the guy that the Saints will rely on at that position, if Pete Werner or if Demario Davis need to be spelled at all, then that's going to be Demarco Jackson. So you've got a couple of different guys there, or at least it's lining up to be Demarco Jackson at this time. And so uh, we have a little bit more clarity in terms of what that might look like. Of course, as I mentioned, things can always change. Uh, but you know, when it comes to the the defensive secondary and the way that the Saints are going to use all these guys who are all extremely versatile, Lonnie Johnson Jr., Ugo Amadi, Jonathan Abram, Jordan Howden, they can all play multiple positions. And that's just four guys. Um, you know, and this is a team that really, really highly invests in guys that are able to do things like that. We we know how many, you know, they've given like 57 one-year contracts to, to P.J. Williams over and over again uh, because of his ability to be able to do that. Now he's not back. So who's going to be that guy? And they have some really good options there. So I think that's the part that's a little bit more intriguing to me because it has a little bit less clarity and more options. Our brother, we'll get you out of here with this quickly. I got about 45 seconds. Uh, what's the big thing that you're looking forward to the most for minicamp? I mean, selfishly, it's just being able to see more football. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have the best job in the world, and I'm really grateful for that. But, uh, you know, in terms of a, a game, you know, piece to it, I think that it really is just the Derek Carr factor. I think he's been you know, super fun to watch, very impressive to watch as well so far in terms of his ability to command the offense and how comfortable he is, the accountability that you know he has kind of bred amongst the entire offensive unit. So I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Derek Carr versus some of those defensive leaders, Derek Carr in tandem with some of those uh, leaders over on the offensive side as well. So those guys are a lot of fun. And maybe the kicker battle too. I mean, there's there's maybe a little bit more of a battle here than, than we're, we're publicizing in terms of Will Lutz and, uh, and Blake Groupie. But, I mean, it's there, and they definitely – definitely see themselves having some competition at that position and you know me i love my special team so that's always a lot of fun too ross we love having you on brother thank you for the insight thank you for making the time keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for locked on saints and so much more my friend thank you so much buddy appreciate you thank you all so much for having me on take care stay safe and i'll talk to you all here soon this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros a recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist take that dental hygiene this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, talking to LSU, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast. My man is maybe the best, don't tell anyone else, best Saints guest we have. Just saying. He comes in, locked in, gives us everything. And he does so with a smile on his face. Poll question of the day. We asked you, it's about the LSU Super Regional. What stood out to you? What was the most notable thing about LSU Super Regional victory over Kentucky? 48% of you say the strength of the bullpen. 26% say weather shenanigans. 22% say offensive explosion. 4% say other Ton says the bullpen doing stuff they haven't done all season. Brilliant. Some additional comments there. Thanks to all who commented on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who voted as well. We appreciate you making us part of your day. And look, we did the math here. Ga- uh, Gavin Guidry has made four appearances. SEC tournament, regional, super regional. Riley Cooper, three appearances. 
Griffin Herring, two appearances. Thatcher Hurd, two appearances, one of those being a start. Alzenhausen, two appearances. Blake Money has only appeared once. We haven't seen from Coleman since May 26th, and he only pitched two-thirds of inning. That's it. And we haven't seen Christian Little since May 20th. So Jay Johnson's telling you who he trusts and who he doesn't. Just saying. Yeah, and I would just add, I don't know about Coleman being fully on trust. It's just been situational. But, yeah, no, it's not like he's his number one option because he hasn't gone to him. And if he was, he would have went to him at this point. But I think that's fair, right? Coming off the injury, we always knew it was going to be somewhat touchy how they decided to use him and bring him back slowly. We didn't have time to discuss this, but the absolute terror that I saw on social media in Destin where a bear swam to shore far out from the shoreline, and then there's a bear that just swims to shore. How did the bear get out into the ocean, into the Gulf of Mexico? I have questions. Feels apocalyptic to me. Just saying. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.